All right, 1 John chapter number 2 is where we're going to be. Now, we're going to start in chapter 1 because it's just the place to start. 1 John, uh, we're just getting into a series. Those of you that are a guest, this is sermon number 4. Our theme all year long has been Love God's Way. And just in thinking about the theme um, well over a year ago now and working on it, planning. Uh, obviously, 1 John, as you think about love, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to think about a book of the Bible that has more to do with love than what 1 John does. But we're really uh, just uh, focusing on the fact of, of why 1 John was written. So it, I've just been caught by surprise by a few things in a pleasant way and just really enjoying the study of it. So let's, look, let's get back into it here now in 1 John and uh, chapter number one. Let's begin reading in, in uh, verse number five. I believe that'd be a good place to start is this is the first main section of the book, uh, chapter one, verse five, and really it'll go through what we're doing tonight in, in two and verse two. And so we'll, we'll do a good amount of review as we get into it and give uh, equal attention, of course, to the two, the two verses that we're going to preach. But listen, they are power-packed verses, uh, very much so in uh, chapter 2. So verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 5 of chapter 1. This then is the message which we have heard of him, that's in reference to Jesus, and declare unto you that God that's in reference to the Father, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say, if we say that we have fellowship with him, with this God in whom is no darkness at all, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But here's the solution, verse number seven. So he has a claim, a counterclaim. We say we walk with him and yet we walk in darkness. The, we, the counterclaim is you're lying. That's hypocritical. You're not living the truth. You're not doing the truth. Here's the solution. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Here's another claim, verse number eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, here's a solution. Claim, counterclaim, solution. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How about that? Amen. Verse 10. If we say, here's another claim, very much related to verse 8. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and, the tr and his word. So in verse eight, it was his truth. Is, the truth is not in us. And obviously in verse 10, parallel to that, his word is not in us because his word is truth. We say that we have not sinned. Then we make him a liar because he's said very plainly, you've sinned. And if we say we haven't sinned, then who's the liar here? <laughs> it's easy to figure out, isn't it? If we say I haven't sinned, who's lying, God or me? You got it figured out. Yeah. Here's the solution. What is it? Claim, counterclaim, solution. Same thing. We didn't get to the solution last week. Just too much to take in at one time. You ever feel like you're trying to take a drink out of a fire hydrant when you come to the Word of God? It's just overwhelming. 
It's kind of how it is when we come to these verses. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not, that you sin not. And if any man sin, well, there goes the idea of sinless, sinless perfection. If any man sin, he says, look, you're going to sin. If any man sin, here's the good news. We have an advocate. We have an advocate with who? With the Father. Who's that? Jesus Christ. What's he like? The righteous. How can he do that? Verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And watch this. And not for our sins only, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That'll mess up somebody's Calvinism. That'll just flat mess it up. Reformed theology needs changed. It doesn't fit this. So uh, tonight, very simple, but very powerful truth here. The sinner's advocate, the sinner's advocate. That's who we are. Think about that. The sinner, who would be an advocate for a sinner? The sinner's advocate. I thought about it this way. The prosecutor, the prosecuting attorney, the prosecutor who took our defense, who became our defense. Prosecuting attorneys don't typically work on the other side as a defense attorney. But in this case, this is a very unique case, the most unique court case in all of human history Amen. when the prosecutor took our defense. May God bless the reading of his word. I pray you'll be encouraged by this here tonight and helped. We had a great time this afternoon in uh, conjunction with Alumni Days, and this is our college night, so we're just working Alumni Days in conjunction with that. Uh, we had the dedication service, or the ribbon cutting, uh, for Art Wilson, too. Now, uh, men have been living in there since August, but we just wanted the alumni who uh, lived otherwise to be there for the ribbon cutting and just made it official. It was really a blessing. I mean, I mean, you, you just think about this out, literally hours of, of planning and of skilled labor, uh, meaning that I was not involved in helping. Um, and then you think about all the offerings that have been received through, really through the years. I mean, just making improvements upon the campus and so forth. And, and so we, we had this, uh, this celebration today and, Walked in there and all the rooms were tidy. I mean, like white glove ready. I, I wasn't sure if I was in the right place, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, man, it looked good. It was clean. Uh, Paul Wilson, Art Wilson's son was there. And, and this is named in honor of his dad. And, and so there's pictures on the wall. There's a picture of, uh, of Brother Wilson as a young man baptizing 83 individuals in a river in Kansas. I believe it was in the Hutchinson, Kansas area. There's literally probably a thousand people that are uh, stretched across a bridge and all around just to see that. You have men that are down in the water and they're all holding the, the, <laughs> the electric cord of the line that's leading out to where he's speaking into a mic 
surely safe, don't you know? And, and it's uh, the speakers on top of a truck. I mean, it was iconic of that time and other pictures on the wall that are, are there really to inspire another generation that God's the same God and it's the same word that's being preached. And I was privileged, maybe as many of you to have heard uh, Brother Wilson preach and he'd preach for a solid two hours straight. Two hours, but man, it was captivating. And I'll never forget, you know, just how he'd preach for, for two hours. So if we get out tonight, you know, it, at any time under that, you should, you should feel like, man, that was a short sermon. <laughs> Two-hour sermon. But, but anyways, I mean, it, it would be pretty, uh, pretty naive of us to think that, that Wilson, as beautiful a second floor as it is, that it's going to stay that pristine. Walls are going to get scuffed. Um, now, Brother Jude, who's designed uh, and kind of laid things out, he built the walls really tough. You're going to have a hard time busting in the walls. I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't try it. You're going to hurt your hand. You're going to hurt somebody. But I'd almost like to see somebody try. But anyways, the, <laughs> the walls are built solid. And, 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 uh, but they're going to, no doubt, they're going to get scuffed. The paint's going to get chipped. Coffee is going to be spilled. Ramen is going to be on the floor. It's inevitable. It's a guy's dorm. It's a men's dorm. It's not realistic to think that we're not going to need ongoing maintenance, need ongoing repairs, need ongoing cleaning. There will be the need. You buy a, a new vehicle, and Brother Ted used this on Sunday morning in talking about that and how that, you know, as, as a father, as a mom, you lay down the rules of the new car, and we're not going to drink in this car. We're not going to eat in this car. We're just barely going to let you kids in this car. It's new. New pair of shoes. Man, I, when you get a new pair of, of, of shoes, dress shoes, or, or whatever pair it is, I mean, you, you almost don't want to walk on them because they look so good. You know what I mean? Uh, Brother Floyd, who led singing here, he, had a, he literally had a pair of shoes that he kept over here. Am I telling it right, Brother Larry and others, choir members? He had a pair of shoes that he did not wear outdoors. They were only worn inside the church. They were kept pretty well. But look, um, whether it's a dorm or a new vehicle or a new pair of shoes, there's got to be cleaning. There's got to be repair because, look, we live in a fallen world. Remember when you trusted Jesus as your Savior and, and, and you, you were so amazed by that salvation. I'll, I'll never forget the drive home after, as an eight-year-old boy, I remember just, I remember that very distinctly driving home and going down our gravel road and thinking, I'm saved. I'm saved by God's grace. I mean, it was just, uh, I wanted to call my, my family. I remember calling my aunts and saying, hey, I trusted Jesus as my Savior today. Amen. And in, the, in those moments, you think, I never want to sin against him again. You know what I mean? Because he's such a wonderful Savior. By the way, that salvation planned from eternity past and, and paid for by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you think, I never want to offend him. But the truth is, friend, listen, even after you've been saved, you're going to sin. He's such a wonderful Savior. I don't want to sin against him. You don't want to sin against him. We ought not sin against him. And, but thank God that there's help for when we do sin against him. There's a way for fellowship to be restored. And you don't have to be saved again. There are new believers here. And I want you to understand on the authority of the Word of God tonight that, that once you are justified, once you are cleansed in the sense of salvation, then listen to this, you are forever sanctified. You're forever in God's family. You're forever saved. That'll never change. Your status of being in God's 
God's family does not alter with your performance. His love for you does not vary with your performance. He doesn't love you more when you're better. He doesn't love you less when you're worse. Hey, listen, his love is steady and his salvation is sure. But our fellowship can be broken. And, and simply what we're dealing with here tonight is, is, listen, the fact of the matter is that, listen, we all sin even after we get saved. We all sin. Christian workers sin. Alumni sin. What got quiet in here? Professors sin. It's college night. Professors sin. Preachers sin. Sunday school teachers sin. Sunday school members sin. All God's children sin. How then can believers have fellowship with God after they have sinned? That's what John's dealing with. How can we have fellowship with God after we've sinned? See, as we've got into the text here, I want to do a little bit of review here just because it's so spot on with really any time period that we're going to deal with, but particularly our, our time period because it has to do with the basis of our fellowship. The basis of our fellowship within churches and even the basis of our fellowship between believers that are in different churches, which is represented here tonight. And fellowship, as we've seen, as we've got into it week by week, means more than just having food, although food could be enjoyed and be a part of it, and that just makes it like extra blessing. But the basis of our fellowship are, is really twofold. It's the doctrine, that we, the body of doctrine from the Word of God and our lives that are to be lived in light of that doctrine. And when we base our fellowship on doctrine and on godliness or holiness, then listen, we're in fellowship with one another. And John is writing to them because there were some, they were in the midst of this doctrinal crisis, and there were some who had left them on the basis of doctrine, and there was others that had left them on the basis of morality. And so there was this doctrinal crisis, there was this morality crisis. But listen, he's, he's writing to them to say this, listen, you are in good fellowship. You're in good fellowship. Don't be pulled. I mean, you think about some of the men that, they, that their views on doctrine were shaped by and that their views on matters of personal separation that they were shaped by. Men like this, like Paul and Peter and Timothy and Silas and even this Aquila and Priscilla. Hey, listen, you don't have to be a preacher to have an impact on somebody's life. Here's a husband and a wife that helped them doctrinally and helped them in their lives to have a, a good picture of what it meant to walk with God. And then Apollos who had some things wrong on, on the matter of baptism, but got them right and, and got, got in fellowship. I mean, their lives were impacted by these men. And John is writing to them years later. And he's saying, listen, you're in good fellowship. But these negative influences were adversely affecting the fellowship of the saints and trying to pull them away by doctrinal error and saying Jesus didn't really come in the flesh and trying to pull them away by, by these errors pertaining to a, basically this, a light view on sin. And thus the division and the confusion was adversely affecting the, the fellowship within that, those churches, probably the churches of Asia Minor. So you think about Ephesus and you think about uh, some of the others like Smyrna and Thyatira, like we'd read in the book of Revelation. I mean, that's who, to whom he's writing. And basically the question was this, then as really it is now, do we stay with the ones who taught us or do we follow those who have new ideas? That's a repeated question. 
repeated throughout all, really, history? Do we stay with those who walked with God and taught us from the Word of God, or do we go with those who have new ideas on doctrine, those who have new ideas on morality? I face that as a Bible college student from the year 1994 to 1998. Things were shifting. Calvinism was moving in. Question of the Bible was there. Uh, the school had in name that it was King James, but in practice, it was something different. I'm just being very honest with you. Music was shifting. Music was changing. Um, groups like Skillet were being accepted. Skillet is something that you fry an egg in, friend. Somebody help me here tonight. But there is these looser views on morality, looser views on, on what is godly music and a looser view on the Bible and a looser view on the atonement and a looser view. I mean, there's just all that was going on. Do we go with those who taught us or do we go with these who have new ideas on these things? Well, wouldn't we be naive to think that another generation coming up, whether in the Southwest Baptist Church or whatever other Baptist church across America or whatever Baptist college is in America, we'd be pretty naive to think that the dorm's not going to get dirty. We'd be pretty naive to think it's not going to need some adjusting along the way. We'd be pretty naive to think that, you know, everything's just going to stay where it always has been. We're just going to enjoy our fellowship like we always have. No, not as long as Satan's at work and trying to draw some away or bringing in and introducing new ideas on doctrine, new ideas on morality and saying, you know, God's not really against as much as you think he is. So John's dealing with that and he says, wait a minute, let's put that to the test of scripture here. And that's really what we need to do here tonight. Let's just put it to the test of scripture to see, okay, what is their claim and what is uh, the counterclaim and what is really the solution? Because here's the thing that we've seen so far in our four, in our three parts of this, these messages as they've developed is this fellowship with God actually brings us into fellowship with one another. But listen to this fellowship with God has a basis. It's not just like, oh man, just link arms with anybody regardless of what they believe. No, you can't do that and be who you ought to be. Fellowship with God has a basis. And so he's getting rather specific as to what fellowship with God looks like, both doctrinally, and he's dealt with that. I mean, he came out gloves off and swinging that which was from the beginning, that which we have handled, that which we have seen with our eyes and touched the word of life. Man, he's talking about Jesus and here are these Gnostic type believers who saying he didn't really come in the flesh. And, and he's just, I mean, just right out of the gate dealing with their false doctrine. And he, because listen, you've got to deal with doctrine first and then behavior after that. And so he's dealt with the doctrinal issue to some extent. And now he's saying, you know, they're saying some other things. Claiming this and claiming that uh, in verse five, as we saw, is everybody still with me here? We're just kind of setting the stage, getting into where we're going. And, and so it'd be nice if everybody came along, it'd be wonderful. But, but here he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and he's already said, this is what the message that we've heard of, of him, of Jesus, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we have to ask ourselves the question, how much sin can God tolerate? How much edginess is God okay with? And so he says, now he is light and he that says he walks with God and yet walks in darkness, they lie and do not the truth. You can't have a Christian rock band, friend. 
Come on. I mean, let, let me just make a little application here before we get to it. You can't have a Christian rock band, a Christ-like rock band. Yeah, I'm a Christian. The guy has a beer in his hand. Something's wrong. Something's wrong right there. We, we said it'd be like somebody having the archery symbol in the back of their truck, you know, on the, on the pickup truck and, and having PETA down on the other side. Those things just don't go together. No. So John says, if you say that you have fellowship with him and yet you walk in darkness, you lie and you do not the truth. So here's what you need to do. But if we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Oh, what a better way to live right there. Just walk in the light. And then the other claim is, is this, we have no sin. We have no sin. And that's what we dealt with last week, as though, you know, the child that's playing hide and seek and saying, you can't see me because I can't see you. We have no sin. They understood this. They understood that sin hinders one's fellowship with God. They understood that. So then they rationalize in their mind, okay, well, if sin hinders my relationship with God, I don't have sin. I haven't sinned since I got saved. How bogus is that? I, Brother Yeager was telling me last Wednesday night after the service, he said there's a gentleman there that, that was that he pastored that had that wrong idea and Brother Yeager tried to convince him and help the man because he said, you know, I haven't had to pray for forgiveness since I trusted Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but friend, listen, I've had to pray for forgiveness every single day. But what they're saying is that we don't have sin. What they've really done is, listen to this, they've modified, listen very carefully right here, they've modified the idea of holiness. You can modify a lot of things. You might modify a recipe. Ladies kind of improvise, given what you have in the fridge, just, it all goes in. You can modify that. My dad had a, a, a utility trailer, and I, I was trying to remember what all it became. It was a utility trailer, then a horse trailer, and, and then back to a utility trailer, and then something else. He modified it several times. You can modify that, but you can't modify what God calls holiness. And it be real holiness. Otherwise, you got modified make-believe holiness. We have no sin. We, we're, this isn't really sin. Either you, if you're not calling something sinful that God calls sinful, then you're, you're modifying holiness. There's a better way to live. Verse 9, he says, but if we confess our sin, watch this, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his truth is not in us. So really, here's, here's the irony of this. Both of them are trying to come to the same place where they don't have sin that's hindering their fellowship with God, but one is reality and the other is not. One is saying we don't have sin before God. God's okay with the way that I'm living, even though it's in darkness. No, he's not, friend. He can't be. They're saying, I don't have sin. So, so in a modified version of holiness, sin remains still. But listen to this. In God's plan for holiness, we can sing nothing between my soul and the Savior. I'm not saying, claiming in any wise, sinless perfection. That's 
contrary to what John is writing here. And so he's saying, listen, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say that we have not sinned, then, the, then we make him a liar because he's saying that we have sinned. So then it leads right into chapter number two. And he's saying, but wait a minute, my children. And, and you hear the tenderness of John as he writes. And, and we're here now at chapter two and verse number one. If you look at it again, he says, my little children, do you hear the tenderness of John? My little children, don't be deceived. He's been talking about what they believed, but now he's speaking to them to say, listen, don't be led down the same road. My little children, the affection that is there, the fact that he calls them little children would, would indicate that he's advanced in years. He's my little children. And John is much older now, but also it would indicate this. He has spent a lifetime of walking with God. kind of in a middle position. Although advancing a little bit further towards the I'm old stage. Activities in life remind you of how old you are. Walked out of the uh, banquet on Monday night and saw some guys throwing football. I thought I'm getting, I'm in. Let me, let me, let me, I can't, I can't run real fast. Let me throw. And after a few throws, uh, I was probably done, but, but I, I feel, I still feel young. Age is pulling me one way, but youth is saying, no, you still got it, but it's deceptive. And then you look in the mirror and you see reality. But I feel like, and, and there's others in this room that are much the same generation at Southwest Baptist Church that you've been, you've been here, you're in your 30s, you're in your 40s, you're in your 50s, somewhere right in there. And, and you, you, hang on, wait a minute. You've been here long enough to know names like a Grady Booth. You've been here long enough to know uh, Brother Jim Lewis. You've been here long enough to know others uh, that, that like Marie Tatum, who every week began her Sunday school lesson on Sunday afternoon for the next week and made her own uh, uh, flannel graph lesson. Someday I want to preach with flannel graph just because I think that'd be pretty awesome, you know. And she would teach with flannel graph and she had a whole room dedicated to her flannel graphs. And, and, and so there's some of you in their 30s, 40s, and 50s that are old enough to know some of those names. And, but you also know the younger generation. And listen, you are having an impact on this, on this upcoming generation having known this generation. And so John is saying, listen, my little children, I'm concerned about you. He's not writing just to blast those that left. In fact, his main intent is not to blast them, but it's to tenderly care for those who are still of a right doctrinal position, but they're very vulnerable because of the influence, the influence of those that present themselves as those superior to the old school or present themselves as superior to the old morality, to the other old fuddy-duddy fundamentalists, to the ones that, you know, the, that generation, listen, you need to get with the times, man. Hey, listen, no, I want to stick with that which is timeless in the Word of God and fellowship with Him and be right with Him. Well, hey, listen, we struggle enough with sin to try to introduce any more. So John is saying, okay, listen, what they have said is not true. They can't be without sin and they're deceiving themselves and there's a counterclaim to that that he's presented. But what's the solution? What do we do if we've sinned then? And I want to have fellowship with God. He says, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. Do you hear what he's saying? 
Because if somebody might kind of spin what he's been saying in a wrong way to say, well, you're not, you're, you're emphasizing these things. And so you must take a light view of sin. Not at all. He's right in line with our Savior who said to the woman who was taken in adultery, go and sin no more. You see, God's word has a way of keeping us from sin or sin has a way, as some said, to keep us from God's word. He's, he's not advocating or taking a, a, a loose attitude towards sin. No, not at all. In fact, that's a dangerous attitude to say, well, you know, everybody sins. No, listen, the fact, the, the fact is, yes, everybody sins, but we don't need to have a flippant attitude about that because God doesn't. If we, if we, he says, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. But what if I do sin? Here's a wonderful truth. We, listen, oh mercy, this is, this is wonderful. We, if any man sin, we have an advocate. An advocate. An advocate. So when I looked up the word advocate, I was reminded that it is parakletos, which para, like parallelogram and, and other things. We use that, that, uh, that beginning part of the word para and then kaleo, like the called out assembly. So you can hear this. It literally means this, one called alongside to help. If any man sin, now take into what he's saying here. If any man sin, we have an advocate, somebody called alongside to help. Anybody in here need help when you've sinned? Do you have somebody that is like a lawyer? It's a, it's a judicial term. It's a legal term. Uh, one who, a paraclete, you, you can follow that, right? Uh, one who's called alongside to help. You say, no, I think I'll just, I'll just stand in my own defense. I don't watch it. I don't advocate it. But I, I'm just thinking it's not smart to do people's court. <laughs> no, I think I can handle my, no. No, you need somebody that's called alongside to help. And you need somebody that, that, can, that can speak up for you. Listen, listen to what else I found here as I, as I consider this word, uh, one called alongside to help. Here are some of the other definitions. One, listen to this, one who pleads the cause of another. One called in to help, one who comes alongside, one who's, oh, I like this, one who speaks on behalf of the accused. Somebody who speaks on the behalf of the accused. If you're saved tonight, you have someone who will come to your defense and speak on your behalf as the accused. He intercedes. Obviously tonight, we're talking about none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who's in heaven, whoever makes intercession for us. That through him, Paul said in Ephesians 2, through him we have both access by one spirit in, unto the Father. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He comes and he intercedes on our behalf. Modern lawyers look for loopholes and other means to take care of their client. Listen to what this individual said. He said, our advocate, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, does not plead that we are innocent. Order in the court right here, everybody listen. He does not plead he's innocent or she's innocent. He cannot. In fact, he's got all the evidence against you. 
He's got all the evidence against us. He does not plead, Father, this one's innocent. He's never sinned. Can't do it. He does not plead, our innocent, listen to this, he does not adduce ex extenuating circumstances. He does not say, on this one's behalf, I plead insanity. <laughs> now, for many of us, might work, right? Might fit, I mean. It won't work. He's not, he does not say, uh, this one had a bad home. He does not had, say, this one had a bad break. This one had bad circumstances. This one has some reason to be, but no, no, friend. He does not come on such shallow basis. He not, does not come on such fickleness as man does. He admits our guilt. He pleads our case. He acknowledges our guilt. In fact, but here's what he does. He presents his vicarious work as grounds, as grounds for our acquittal that we can go free. If any man sin, we have an advocate. I've got somebody that'll stand up and speak on my behalf. If you're saved tonight, listen to this wonderful, great truth. Because you've sinned, you've lied, you've cheated, you've lusted, you've, you've gotten angry, maybe even today. But you've got somebody in heaven who'll stand and speak on your behalf. On your behalf. If you say, well, I don't think I need him, you don't understand the nature of your sinfulness. But if you say, well, I don't think I really belong here. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be in this, in this church. Well, listen, you're right on the right track there, but you've got to understand the nature of his acquittal and the basis of his acquittal. And the fact that he stands on our behalf has a basis. He's our advocate. He's our advocate. But here's the question. How, here's the question. Are you following me right here? How then can he be our advocate when we're sinful and keep his character? Jesus Christ, though, what does it say? Righteous. The righteous. What are you? Not. Not what? Righteous. How then can he advocate for you given your sinfulness, and still remain righteous. Because if a judge, don't, don't you, I kind of feel for some judges because they just got appointed to this individual that is clearly guilty, and yet he's supposed to defend him. Or at least make sure that he gets due process. Everybody follow that right there? But, but wait a minute, how then can Jesus still remain as he is righteous? And, and John declares him as such that he is righteous indeed. In fact, oh man, think about this. If what you lack is righteousness with God that allows you to have fellowship with him, then you need somebody that knows something about righteousness to help you since you're not righteous. You need somebody to come alongside of you and say, hey, I can help you with your righteousness. Anybody here need that kind of help? If I come alongside of you and I say, here, let me help you with your golf swing. Okay, I come, I come alongside of you and you're slicing this way really hard. I can help you slice this way actually really hard. That's all I can do, Brother Wade. I can't do it. Now, if Brother Wade or Brother Ludy or one of these men that have golfed a long time, they come out there and they can show you how to stand. They can show you how to swing and all that. They can come alongside and they can help you. I come alongside my wife and I say, here, let me help you with that casserole. I can't even really spell casserole. How am I supposed to help her with her casserole? Here, I think you ought to add this. I think you ought to put this in there. I think you ought to do this. I have no idea. I'm not qualified. 
I need somebody that'll come alongside and help if there's a help that is needed there. As we're sighting in a bow, we got one of the students who has shot bow all his life and is hitting the target at 80 yards. I'm just barely hitting the target at 15 and 20 and 30 yards. He's hitting the target at 80 yards, just thump. And what he did is he come alongside of us to help us sign our bow in. Are you following what I'm saying? Hey, listen, when it comes to righteousness, you're missing the target every which way. You need somebody who can help you sight in on what it means to be right with God. And John says, I'll tell you who that is. It's not those who are denying their sin. It's not those that are taking a loose view on, on morality or a loose view on doctrine. I'll tell you who it is. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous. So then the question remains, how then can he help me who is unrighteous? How then can he speak up on my behalf and still remain righteous himself? Here's the basis. His, his, the fact that he is our advocate is based on his atonement. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not, but if any man in sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he doesn't stop there because he knows what was being everybody's mind. How can he remain righteous and still speak on my behalf who's a sinner? And he is the propitiation for our sins. Amen. Do you know what propitiation is? That's a mouthful, propitiation. That's more than one syllable. We need to define it. It basically means this, the wrath-removing sacrifice. Yes. It means this, there was wrath that was on us. There was wrath on us. And when they needed that wrath to be able to remove, I realize that today that the wrath of God is not a popular subject. But friend, listen, it is still a biblical subject that God loves the sinner, but he hates sin. Yes. And the wrath of God was on us. The wrath of God was on you. And if tonight, if you're not saved, according to John chapter 3, if you remain in unbelief, then His judgment, His wrath is yet upon you, but you can be delivered from it through Jesus Christ. He's our propitiation. That means our wrath-removing sacrifice. That means instead of wrath, we get mercy. Why? Because He, as the Son, experienced the wrath of God. Amen. This is staggering, friend. When you really stop and take it in that your sin was so bad and my sin was so bad and the sins of the whole world was so bad that there was only one means by which it could be atoned. What could wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. No good works that I could do. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Why? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. He was righteous. In him was no sin at all. And yet the Father, listen, by the way, some would say, well, if he's the wrath removing sacrifice, that means that God was trying to, the Father was kind of struggling to find somebody that would, would volunteer to take it. That is absolute baloney. Amen. Okay, if you want it in Hebrew, blog. <laughs> That's so bogus that he searched through heaven to try to find, that is a, Poor, pitiful song. He did not search through heaven to try to find somebody. It was the eternal plan of God that the Son would always Amen. give His life for us. Amen. In fact, whose idea was it? Here in His love, not that we loved us, but that God loved us and sent His Son. That means it was the Father's idea with the Son and the Holy Spirit from eternity past that He would die in our place. And it wasn't like he had to really plead with Jesus to please do this. Son, would you do this, please? He was so reluctant. Oh, that's also Bologna. That is so bogus too because Jesus didn't have to be pled with. Jesus willingly went to the cross. 
See? The way that you can be forgiven is not just God saying, yeah, I'll look at it. I'll just kind of sweep that one under the rug. No. Your sin and my sin was placed on him and dealt with justly. Justice on the cross. He dealt with the sin of all mankind. It was that wrath-removing sacrifice, John said. It's that wrath-removing sacrifice for our sins. He can... I hope this is getting across. It blessed my heart all day long, all yesterday as I was trying to study it out. And, and I just thought, he can speak up. He can speak up on your behalf. He can say, no matter what you've done, who you are, where you've been, he can speak up on your behalf, come to your defense, not on the basis of who you are, but on the basis of who he is and what he did on the cross. Amen. On the basis of his atonement. The, the, the fact that he's our advocate is based on his atonement. And he can speak up on our behalf if we come to him on the right basis. Everybody get that? You can come to him. He can speak up rather on your behalf if you come to him on the right basis. Now, if you don't come on the right basis, namely his atonement, you're on your own. But if you come to him on the basis of your blood was shed for me and I don't deserve it, but I've sinned again, Father, would you forgive me? On the, oh my soul. on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, your sin can be forgiven regardless of what it is and it can be forgiven over and over again. That ought not give you the, the thought in your mind, I'll just keep sinning so I can get more grace. That is totally wrong. That is what Paul was arguing against in Romans chapter number six and it's what John is writing against here that I, I've written these things to you that you sin not, but if you sin, in fact, we're, we're probably, we're, we're, we know we're gonna sin. So here's what is so good news. We got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the, right, the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins, he says, of the whole world. Amen. Hang on. When you have no hair, you gotta have something to catch your sweat. You say, all right, now hang on just a second. John Calvin said, you know, you see this is wrong. John Calvin said that this word all means, he does not mean he did not die for the reprobates. I read John Calvin's quote about that. He said he did not die for the reprobates, but he only died for those that would believe. See, if you hold to Calvinism or some variant form of it, of Reformed theology, then you have to take a verse like this and do all kinds of linguistic gymnastics with it. Because when John says, listen, he's not only the wrath-removing sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Which, be careful right there, that does not mean that the whole world is automatically saved. That's universalism, which is also bogus and not in sound doctrine. The fact that he died for all does not mean that all are automatically saved. John himself is going to refute that. He's going to say that he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So don't confuse the provision for all made being application for all. But don't take away from his atonement because he died, friend, for all mankind. God so loved the world. Well, a Calvinist would have to say, well, he, he loved the world of the elect. 
They'll take this first. I kid you not. You, you, I'm not making this up. Did you just hear Rocky the Baptist Herald back there? He said, that's right. And, and listen, what they'll do is they'll say he's a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the, for the sins of the whole world of the elect. You have to add something to the Bible to make Calvinism work. That's right. What does world mean? Well, sometimes world means a physical world, but sometimes like it says there in John 3, he died, he loved the whole world. In, John, in 1 John chapter 5, the whole world lies in wickedness. What does that mean? That the whole world of the elect lies in wickedness? Or is he talking about the sinful lost world? See, they're not consistent with their use of the terms. Is this helping anybody? If you're not getting the idea here, we're not Calvinists. Because the Bible's not. We're trying to preach and teach the Bible that he died for all mankind and we can't take this salvation message to a wrong address and we better get out there letting all mankind know that their sin can be forgiven regardless of who they are because he died for all mankind. It's an unlimited atonement. That's what helped me the most when I was being fed, fed and taught and said that, well, there's a conditional election and unconditional election. He's just chosen to elect this group of people. And, and yes, it is an unlimited atonement. Listen, those two don't jive. They don't jive if it is an unlimited atonement. Therefore, he has chosen, he has elected to save anybody that'll come to him by faith. Amen. That's exactly what John is saying. He's the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. But the point he's making is this. Look, you're going to sin. And when you sin, your sin needs to be dealt with. But you don't need to be saved again because you already are. But you need that removed between you and the Father. And you got one that'll stand and speak and is speaking for you even right now, interceding on your behalf, speaking on your behalf, because you have come on the right basis, the basis of his atoning sacrifice, his atonement that was for you. That's the only basis. Preachers are going to deal with sin. Can't be proud of that, but we don't get some kind of a buy. Preachers, we don't, do we? <clears throat> Had somebody cut me off here just recently, and I thought, you turkey. <laughs> that is just not right. I got upset. I got angry. I, I thought, I'll show you. I, it, it didn't get bad. I didn't get in the news. You didn't see that? <laughs> I saw headlines though. <laughs> Baptist preacher. No. <laughs> hey, we deal with sin. But I can't say, well, I can show out because I'm a preacher. I'm a trained debater. I'm here to show you why you're wrong, give you three points that are alliterated, a poem, why you ought to come forward in your car to get things right. It's an invitation. <laughs> no, I don't get some kind of a buy because I'm a preacher. You don't get some kind of a buy because you've been in church all your life. No, sin is sin, friend, and he deals with us all about our sin. You're a Bible college student? That doesn't give you any kind of, like, man, I, I know I'm in Bible college, but I can kind of mess around with sin over here and nobody know about it. He knows about it. And he's not going to come to your defense and say, yeah, you're a Bible college student. We're just going to give you a little bit of a little slack. 
No, he's not going to cut you any slack. That sin cost him his life. You see this? Laziness. It'll get quiet here in a hurry if I start getting specific, right? We're here tonight because we really do want to have fellowship with him. But it's got to be on the right basis. It can't be on the basis, well, I'll try harder, I'll do better, I, I, I'll, I'm, I'm a pastor's son, or I'm a deacon's daughter, I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a that. How, how about this? We're all actually, the, as someone has said, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Some of you grew up in good homes, some of you grew up in bad homes. That's not the distinguishing mark for God's fellowship with you. Some of you have money, some of you don't. Some of you are intelligent, some of you struggle with school and academics. Some of you have this, some of you have that. Some of you have good looks, some of you don't. Whatever, yada, 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 doesn't matter. Here's what matters. A sinner saved by grace in fellowship with the Father. Not on the basis of our performance, but based on the, His performance. He speaks up on our behalf. Saying, Father, this one came on the basis of my shed blood. He's free. She's free. They're forgiven. Now we need to ask, we need to confess. Verse 9, chapter 1. I mean, all this works together. Do you see it? We can't deny our sin. We can't hide our sin. We can't like work around our sin. Here's what we ought to do. Confess. I'm not right with you, Father. On the basis of the blood that was shed for me, I come asking that you forgive me, cleanse me. And the work goes on. Amen. He's not done with you. You can be done with yourself, but that doesn't mean he's done with you. Somebody else could write you off. And instead of being your advocate, they could be your adversary. Say, he'll never make it. She'll never make it. They don't even deserve to be here. On what basis are you saying that? Uh, his basis of the bloodshed overrules anybody else's basis. So you just stay right where you are and be in fellowship with the Father. Let's stand together tonight. Sinner's advocate. He's your advocate if you know Him as your Savior. Now, He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. But He's not everybody's advocate. But He will be if somebody had come by faith in the blood shed at the cross and believed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all can be saved. Tonight, if there's sin in your life and you need help with righteousness, He's the one that will help you. If you're here tonight and you don't know Him as your Savior, I encourage you to come on this very first verse as we begin to sing. Would you come and get that matter settled? But if you are saved tonight, but sin has hindered the fellowship with your Heavenly Father, would you come and make that right here tonight? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the basis of our fellowship, that it is the bloodshed, the full atonement paid for our sin debt that we could not pay on our own. God, it's obvious from this text and others that you do not take light, sin lightly, that you do not in any wise get close to sin and you don't endorse any type of sin. Dear God, would you help us? being in fellowship with you first and then in fellowship with one another on the right basis, I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. As we're standing here tonight and God has spoke to your heart, Aaron's going to lead us, page 451. Trust and obey. God has spoke to you. Please come on this very first verse.